We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to a Wednesday, August 2nd edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here. In just a second, I'll be joined by Chris Fedor. Cavs writer for cleveland.com and one of our favorite guests on the podcast. We had Chris on back in December. He gave a ton of great insight then. We had another great chat this afternoon. Talk plenty of Kyrie, what's next for LeBron, the addition of Derrick Rose, what to expect from this Jetty Osmond character. Even worked in a little bit of Cleveland Browns talk. Make sure to follow Chris on Twitter and of course read his work at cleveland.com. All right, I'm here with Chris Fedor, Cavaliers writer, among other things, at Cleveland.com. Chris, uh, I think it's safe to say that the mood in Cleveland has changed quite a bit in the last seven months. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. Um, You know, there were times during the regular season this past year that people weren't as optimistic about the Cavs' chances, but I think at the end of the day, they felt like things were good with the organization. You know, you had a GM in place. Felt good about the head coach and Ty Lue. Uh, felt like you had three superstars that could play well and get along together. And everybody fell back on the fact that the Cavs were the best team in the Eastern Conference. And, and since then, you know, some of those things still remain here based on what has happened throughout the offseason. Um, but not everything does. So it should be very, very interesting as we get closer and closer to training camp what the Cavs are going to do here. 
So let's start with the obvious, uh, Kyrie Irving. As someone who's around yep. the team day in and day out, how surprised were you personally when the news broke a couple weeks ago that Kyrie had, in fact, requested a trade formally uh, in a meeting with Dan Gilbert? Not very, to be perfectly honest with you, not very. Um, you know, and then the the initial reaction to people after hearing that is, okay, why didn't you guys report on this or something along those lines? I think a lot of people did. I think a lot of people talked about the complications that Kyrie Irving was having within himself, um, trying to work alongside LeBron. He's always been open and honest about those challenges. And I think given the way that this offseason transpired, you know, when you have an unhappy player or you have a player um, in an organization where that organization does not really value stability and it's going through some interesting things that could be on the horizon, the next logical step for a player being unhappy or having his own challenges is to ask out somehow, some way. Um, so because of that, I guess the timing was really, really interesting. It's in the midst of, you know, a third straight NBA finals appearance. Um, it's a team that going into this off season was still the class of the Eastern conference. So the timing of it, um, when it happened, that was kind of surprising, but the fact that Kyrie Irving was unhappy with the organization and unhappy just being part of the Cleveland Cavaliers, that to me is not that surprising because I think there are a number of dots to connect along the way that kind of led you to this particular conclusion. This has been taken in so many different directions as far as the narratives that have been spun off of this. You know, it does Kyrie mm-hmm. want his own team? Does Kyrie not care about winning? Was getting that title enough? And now he just wants to go do his Kobe thing for a while. You know, I think the biggest question is how much of this has to do with him, one, wanting his own team, and two, as a product of that, getting away from LeBron James. Is this... Is this Kyrie doesn't want to play with LeBron, period, or Kyrie wants to be the best player on whatever team he's going to? So I think to answer this question, Nick, I think it makes the most sense to go back. Um, All right, so the Cavs in 2014, they didn't really have an indication that LeBron was coming back. They were hopeful. Uh, It was always a possibility that he would leave Miami, he would come back to Cleveland. But they didn't know. Dwayne Wade didn't know LeBron's plans. So there was no way that the Cavs knew LeBron's plans. There was no way that Kyrie Irving knew LeBron's plans. So if you go back there, Kyrie signs an extension with the Cavs. Um, It's the 1st of July. It's a five-year extension after having great conversations with then-general manager David Griffin, who is now no longer with the organization, and that looms over this entire thing. But after having those conversations with David Griffin and Dan Gilbert, Kyrie decided to sign a five-year extension. And what he was thinking at that time was, okay, yes, this team has been bad. We've been lottery-bound repeatedly. We've been building through the draft. But even with all that losing, this is going to be my team. They're going to build this thing around me. And it's exactly what I want for my career at this particular point in time. Um, and then David Griffin sold him on the idea, Griff being somebody who was with the Phoenix Suns, he sold Kyrie on the idea that he was going to build the organization similar to the Phoenix Suns, and the Phoenix Suns had Steve Nash, and Kyrie Irving was going to be the Cavs' version of Steve Nash. And that appealed to him. Of course it appealed to him. And then about 10, 11 days later, LeBron James announces that he's coming back to Cleveland, And everything that Kyrie thought was going to happen when he signed that long-term extension with the Cavs 
all of a sudden that changed. And I think that's shocking to anybody. And he was open and honest about that sort of thing. And he's continued to be open and honest about that sort of thing. Even in the finals, he even talked about, you know, when is it going to be my time? Sometimes I end up sitting there thinking, when is it going to be my time? Uh, Is there something bigger out there for me? So if we start there, what Kyrie signed up for was a lot different. Okay. So he didn't arrange this marriage. LeBron James arranged it by coming back to Cleveland and singling out Kyrie. Kyrie benefited from it greatly. The Cavs as an organization benefited from it greatly, but it was never something that Kyrie initially wanted. And now here we are after being three years and, you know, you get to a point where you don't want it to continue down this same path. And I think for Kyrie, it's, it's very similar to LeBron when he came back to Cleveland. Like LeBron could have stayed in Miami and competed for more championships, right? That was a team that went to four straight NBA finals. They won two NBA championships. And he could have gone back to Miami and he could have won a championship. But he decided at that time that coming back to Cleveland and winning a championship in Cleveland meant more than potentially winning another one in Miami. And I think Kyrie is at a point where he's very frustrated with a lot of different things within the organization, the lack of stability, the fact that David Griffin is no longer here, the fact that LeBron James could leave in 2018, the fact that a lot of the decisions that happen with the organization um, are run through LeBron and not Kyrie. And I think you just have somebody right now who, on top of everything else that I mentioned, is just ready to try and compete for a championship on his own because that's the next thing on his list that he wants to accomplish in his career. See, I think a lot of people sympathize with that, you know, wanting to get out from LeBron's shadow. And and I think the other point here is that LeBron's shadow is so much bigger than some of these other guys, you know, even, uh, Mm-hmm. You know, some of you know, Kawhi Leonard, for example, Harden, you know, like the LeBron's sure. on another level in terms of the amount of attention and the amount of decision making power that he's given. So I think a lot of people understand that. A lot of people sympathize with that. But then Kyrie, who doesn't have a no trade clause, who's not an expiring contract, mm-hmm. provides a list of teams. And on that list, you mm-hmm. know, are the Spurs, who have at least one player who's better than him. And Minnesota, who has at least one, if not maybe two players who are better than him. So to me, that was kind of contradictory. It's, I want my own team, but at the same time, how can you say that and then say you want to go play with Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns or go play with Kawhi Leonard? Right, and I think I understand where you're coming from, and I understand where fans are coming from, but none of those guys are LeBron James. Right. And none of those guys are LeBron James in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. This is LeBron City. It's always going to be LeBron City. Even when LeBron is gone, that shadow is going to loom over the organization and over every single other player that comes to this organization. The LeBron shadow is never, ever, 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 ever going away. Not here in Cleveland. So Kyrie can't make Cleveland his city. Kyrie can't make the Cleveland Cavaliers his franchise. It's always going to be LeBron's even when he's not here. So I think that matters. I think the other thing, Look, Kawhi Leonard, everybody knows how great he is, and he's an MVP candidate, but he's a reluctant superstar. And Jimmy Butler, while, yeah, maybe he's better than Kyrie and maybe he's more accomplished than Kyrie, the personality conflict is not going to be there. The internal conflicts that LeBron and Kyrie had based on who they are, where they are at their career, how old they are, that stuff wouldn't exist in Minnesota. 
because Kyrie and Jimmy Butler are that close and they have an established friendship already. And some of those things that you were talking about, I think those get pushed to the side because of that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's a lot different when you bring up any other situation other than Cleveland, because I don't think there's anything out there that you can compare to the situation that Kyrie's involved in here with the Caps. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, is it is it fair to say that when we talk about Kyrie wanting his own team, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I think it's been painted as, oh, he just wants to go to the Knicks and lead them to 25 wins but score 30 a game. Like, is it just he wants to be the face of a franchise more so than he needs to be the best player for that franchise? I mean, I think it's just he wants more out of his career and he wants an opportunity to challenge himself. And, and the thing that I would say in response to that, Nick, is he didn't put Sacramento on his list. Okay. You know, he didn't put the Philadelphia 76ers on his list. All right. You know, he put some well-run organizations on that list. And the only outlier is the New York Knicks. And I think everybody has some kind of uh, situation that they've been in, in their career or in their life where maybe they got tugged back home and the New York Knicks, while they are dysfunctional and they aren't well-run and they don't have a lot of pieces around to compete, that's home for Kyrie, and that is appealing enough. So I think using the Knicks as an example that suddenly Kyrie Irving doesn't want to win or he doesn't care about winning, that's the outlier on the list. The other one is San Antonio. Duh. That makes sense. Minnesota is an up-and-coming team in the Western Conference. That makes sense. And the Miami Heat, one of the most well-respected organizations in the NBA, people rave about Miami's culture. Miami's culture is so great that LeBron James and James Jones tried to bring that to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the Miami thing makes sense to me from that standpoint as well. Um, and I think the best way to look at this, Nick, is that we've all been in situations in our career where we have these things that we want to accomplish, right? So we make a list if we're out there and we're looking for a new job or we're looking for uh, something different for our life. We make a list of pros and cons, and there are different things that appeal to people, right? I've been part of a a radio show that's been wildly successful in the past. And it was the number one show in Cleveland. And I loved it. And we were winning in the ratings. And I was enjoying the benefits of all those things. But guess what? Around the time that I was part of that show, I was taking interviews in Milwaukee. I was taking interviews in Georgia. I was taking interviews other places because I wanted to challenge myself and because I wanted bigger things for me. I was the number two slash number three on the one radio show, but my goal always in my life was to have my own radio show. And I felt like it was time for me to take that next step in my life and take that next step in my career. And Kyrie's at the same kind of point. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to win. Winning matters to him. But um, I think organizational stability matters to him. I think there are a number of things that matter to Kyrie, a number of them, a long list, just like everybody else has created in their own life. And I think the one that checks the least amount of boxes for what he wants to accomplish at this point in time in his career is Cleveland. And that's what it comes down to. He's ready to take that next step. Um, The same way that LeBron James was ready to take that next step when he left Cleveland after seven years and he went to Miami and he wanted to go to college and he was seeking validation with a championship ring. And of course, Kyrie's not a free agent, so it's a different kind of situation. But the thinking behind it, taking that next step in your career, 
that is what is driving this decision, in my opinion. And I can't blame him for it. Right. So like you just said, he's not a free agent. He, the Cavaliers are under no obligation to trade Kyrie Irving, but right. as we've seen, this, this type of situation has arisen across all major sports. And when a star player you know, publicly says that they want to trade, and I guess in this case he didn't publicly say it, but it's since become public, it's very, very mm-hmm. hard to mend that. And you know, all that's, that spiraled out of this situation seems to have just made it worse and worse by the week. So it's getting to the point where it seems like there's really no way that, that Cleveland can go into next season with Kyrie Irving on the roster. You wrote on Cleveland.com this morning that the Cavaliers would be smart to trade Kyrie prior to training camp. Like don't even don't even bring this situation into camp. It seems like that's the way that this is going to go. Um, what's the best course of action for the Cleveland Cavaliers? I mean, do, is there any, you know, I don't know if sympathy is the right word, but do they have any reason to to give in to Kyrie and say, okay, we'll do our best to get you to one of those four teams? Uh, I don't really see that as the avenue that they'll take. Yeah, I don't think so either, but I think the interesting thing about those four teams, Nick, is that because Kyrie has made it known that he would like to play there, those four teams could look at the situation and say, this is more than just a potential two-year rental of Kyrie. This is somebody who wants to be with us long-term. That's why he singled us out. And because of that, maybe they'd be more inclined to meet the Cavs' asking price than a team like Phoenix, than a team like Denver, than a team like Sacramento or some other team around the NBA, because the other teams that aren't on that list are looking at it and saying, do we really want to give up what we have to give up for two years of Kyrie and then watch him leave in free agency when, while we have Kyrie, are we going to be a better team? Yes, but are we going to be truly competitive? Probably not in the case of some of the teams that have been mentioned. Um, So I think that's why the four teams on that preferred destination list are important because I think they'd be more willing to meet the Cavs asking price at the same time. Obviously the Cavs don't have to send him there. Uh, They don't have to appease Kyrie with this because he doesn't have a no trade clause, but um, I think it's very important for them that they think about what's best for the health of the organization. I think that needs to loom over this entire decision. And if that means catering to Kyrie, because, Uh, That means he gets to leave Cleveland and he gets to go somewhere else. Then so be it. Um, But this is a very, very important season for the Cavs. Incredibly important. It's been a bad off season for the Cavs for a variety of reasons. And it's time for them to stop making blunders. And it's time for them to finally start to give LeBron more and more reasons to stay beyond his contract here in Cleveland. And at this point, the Cavs have given LeBron more reasons to want to leave Cleveland based on what has happened this offseason than stay in Cleveland long-term. And I think if they were to go into training camp where it's supposed to be a new beginning, a fresh start, everybody together, united for the same goal, chemistry, camaraderie, all that stuff being built in training camp, if they go into that process with an unhappy player who has already made it known publicly, not him, but it is out there publicly, that he's unhappy with the Cavs, he's unhappy with the direction of the Cavs, he's unhappy with the instability of the Cavs, and he doesn't want to be in LeBron's shadow anymore. Like, how does that get better? How is that a healthy situation for the Cavs going into training camp when they have championship aspirations? How is that healthy for the Cavs to go in and start the final season of LeBron being under contract 
with those things looming up over the organization. It's just not. So I don't know how you come back from this sort of thing. And that's why I focus on training camp, even though, you know, maybe that limits some of the options that they have in terms of trades. Maybe it limits some of the players that they can get back because some of the players signed and they want some of those guys and they can't be traded until December 15th. It's just, to me, there are so many minuses of bringing this situation to training camp um, that could poison what is a very, very important season for the Cavs. And it's such a tricky situation, too, because Kyrie has two years left on his deal. It would be different if he had one year left. It'd be different if he had three or four years left. I think you know it's similar in some ways to the Paul George situation where he made it known he wanted to go to L.A., and the la- some people said, oh, okay, this is more reason for L.A. to trade for him now. They get him for a year, mm-hmm. and then he'll just resign long-term. There's no risk that he goes somewhere else and falls in love with another city, yada, yada, yada. The flip side right. of that was basically what the Lakers did. They're gambling and saying, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll let him play wherever he wants next year. We'll just sign him outright next summer. With Kyrie having two years left, you know, if you're Minnesota, you can say, all right, maybe we are willing to part with Wiggins because we think he'll sign long-term. Mm. Two years is such an odd total, basically, is what I'm trying to say, because you, if you're the Wolves, you, you can't really sell yourself on, well, we'll just trade for him in the summer of 2019, or, you know, we'll sign him right, right in 2019, because that, that's a little bit too long to wait. So I think the timing of the demand uh, was a little bit disadvantageous, to say the least, for Cleveland. Um, and just the timing of it on Kyrie's deal makes it extra, extra tricky. So, you know, I think in some ways... I think that's fair. I think that's fair, but I think it's also fair to point out that the Cavs tried trading Kyrie before Kyrie demanded a trade. Right. And I think that looms over this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cavs aren't uh, impervious to blame here with this whole situation um, because of the way that things have transpired this offseason and because they were the ones that were attempting and thinking and uh, speculating about potential Kyrie Irving trades before he even made this to me. So you wrote a few weeks ago uh, on Cleveland.com a piece just kind of putting together using the ESPN trade machine a few <laughs> options. And I mean, yeah. I think everybody, everybody who follows the NBA probably went through the same process uh, on the trade machine, but I thought you put together some good ones. Uh, Utah, Phoenix, Denver, Charlotte, mm. Milwaukee, uh, the list goes on. You know, of those trades that you came up with, which ones do you think, you know, two or three make the most sense for Cleveland? I think Phoenix and Denver, Nick, because uh, let's look at it this way. So what the Cavs are looking for is they're looking for one or two win now players so that they can uh, try and compete better against the Warriors, and maybe that will help LeBron stay long-term. Um, they're looking for a young, up-and-coming, blue-chip-type player, preferably on a rookie deal because the Cavs' salary cap is shot, basically. Um, so that guy can represent a modicum of hope for the future, even if LeBron is gone, or because they they came into this offseason saying, hey, look, we got to get younger, we got to get more... Uh, youth on our bench and we got to get more youth in the organization just to grow it because we're one of the oldest teams in the NBA. Um, And then they're looking for draft picks, maybe one or two of those because they don't have any, they've used them all. And whether they use them to bring players to the organization through the draft or they use them as trade capital, it's a nice asset for them to have, especially if they're going to try and rework the roster midway through this upcoming season. Now they have something to attach to Channing Frye's expiring contract 
that could potentially sweeten a deal. Um, so that's what they're looking for. They're looking for all of the above. And maybe even if they want to take it a step further, they're probably looking for some kind of salary cap relief as well. And that means some team taking Amon Shumpert, and that would be an incentive for um, the Cavs to try and get rid of that contract, which is not a great contract, basically. Uh, so they're looking for all of that. And I think the teams that make the most sense, Phoenix, because they could use Eric Bledsoe, maybe if they're willing to part with fourth overall pick, uh, Josh Jackson, he would meet the standard of that young up-and-coming player. And then Phoenix, not only do they have their own draft picks, they've got a draft pick potentially coming from Miami, a first-round pick coming from Miami this year that is protected in a certain way. Um, But they have so many young players on that roster that I think they'd be okay giving up a draft pick or two to kind of make a deal work. Um, The other one is Denver. So you start with Wilson Chandler as the win-now player, a wing that can help in a series against the Warriors. Either or both Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, if Denver's willing to go that direction, and then a future draft pick. Um, it just you have to look at teams that have all of those things because that's what the Cavs are going to want. And not every team has those things. You know, Miami doesn't have those things. Um, they have the win now player in Goran Dragic, but they can't trade a draft pick until like 2023 or something like mm-hmm. that. And the centerpiece of the deal can't be Justice Winslow. Um, so to me, it's Denver and Phoenix that make the most sense for what the Cavs want back in return, even though they're not on Kyrie's list. Is it and Rash- Boston makes a lot of sense, too. Don't forget Boston, but right. I can't imagine that the Cavs would be willing to move Kyrie to Boston. But if Boston was willing to get into it, they can check all the boxes as well. The LeBron situation is what makes this so difficult, I think, because like you said, they they need to get back something that still keeps them competitive next year. But at the same time, you right. still want to plan for the future, whether LeBron's there or not. So like, in some ways, is it fair to blame LeBron, you know, for kind of handcuffing this organization? And we kind of saw it in free agency, too. You would hear, you know, the Cavs are interested in veteran player X. And then a day later, it would be well, that player is not interested because he can't get a commitment from LeBron. Like, obviously, whatever whatever you're dealing with when LeBron is on your team is worth it. I think he's more than proven right. that throughout his career. But at the same time, I mean, it, the same sort of situation arose in Miami where, it, you know, every year they had no draft picks. You know, it was kind of mm-hmm. signing these bargain bin guys, bringing in yep. Rashard Lewis and depending on him for 20 minutes a game. And then you have a tough time bringing in these free agents because they don't know what situation they're walking into. I would just say that's the price of building a championship roster, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to give up those draft picks for win-now players. You're going to have to um, maybe overpay to keep your own guys, to keep the core in place, because you have so many high-priced guys that are in the organization that there's not a lot of flexibility that you have with the salary cap, even if your owner is willing to go deep into the luxury tax. So, I mean, it's hard to say that LeBron's at fault or the Cavs didn't see this kind of thing coming. Um, I think the reality is when you bring LeBron to your organization, there are so many great things that can happen for the organization and the Cavs have uh, benefited greatly from those things. Um, But there's also realities of the things that you also have to navigate. You know, it's going to be a chaotic environment. Um, you're going to be put under the spotlight, everything you do, everything you say. Um, he's going to want some power when it comes to 
decisions with the roster and, and some of the other things that happen behind the scenes. And that's just something that every single organization, whether it's Miami, Cleveland, Lakers in the future, San Antonio in the future, whoever in the future, that's just something that they have to understand comes with the package. You can't just get the greatness of LeBron and the great things that come with him and then not get some of the other things. Um, it just doesn't work that way. You have to sign up for the entire thing. And I think every organization, and I think a lot of players that have played around LeBron would say that signing up for those things um, are always worth it in the end. Right. Well, I think this kind of goes back to what we said about Kyrie too, where you know, you play with Kawhi Leonard, you don't have to deal with that. Or you play with some of these other superstars in the league, and sure, yep. they have their influence, but it's not this just all-encompassing organizational right. influence. Um, I th- in some ways, do you believe that the the way that the Warriors have been constructed and, and how dominant they've been over these last three years has kind of colored the way that we view teams off seasons and, and especially Cleveland because they're the team that's matched up with Golden State in the last three finals. Like even before all this Kyrie news broke, you know, if you go back a month, people were already calling the Cavs offseason a, a complete disaster. You know, it's they only added yeah. Jeff Green. Maybe they'll add Derrick Rose, uh, which they've obviously done since. I think, you know, if if the Warriors didn't exist, if they were just another good team out West and weren't this just impenetrable uh, juggernaut, I don't think we would look at the Cavs and say, you know, this was a disastrous offseason. They, in theory, if the Kyrie situation hadn't arisen, they would come back with their three best players, including LeBron James. They would have added a little wing depth in Jeff Green. They would have added a backup point guard in in Derrick Rose. But it just seems like everything is met with panic now because if you're not making major additions to your roster, you're falling behind Golden State. Yeah. I mean, they've set a new standard in the NBA of of what – what other teams have to meet. And I think Miami did that for a huge stretch when LeBron and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade were together. And I think from the Cavs standpoint, Richard Jefferson even said it this past year, RJ was like, Hey, look, we don't win a championship. It's a failure. I mean, that's the standard for the Cavs. Right. And I think, I mean, if you want to qualify it as a bad off season, I think that's fair to do that because I think internally there's no way that the Cavs can say with a straight face, that they're happy about the way that things have progressed this off season for them, for what they determine successful for the standards that they have for themselves. They haven't met those. I mean, are you kidding me? The one guy that they wanted to replace David Griffin, he said, no, you know, they wanted Paul George and they didn't get him. They wanted a draft pick somehow, some way they didn't get it. So a lot of the things that they wanted to accomplish this off season, they didn't accomplish so they might say something publicly, but internally behind the scenes, they had a list of things that they wanted to accomplish by their own standards, and they didn't accomplish them. So I don't know how you could say that that's a good off season that they've had. And then if you take it in perspective of the Warriors and how the Warriors have improved and they're probably going to improve internally just because they're going to become closer. They're going to know how better to play with each other, things that they found out, the growing pains that you have to go uh, through as a new team with all these different egos and all these different stars. Like, that's in the rearview mirror. They don't have to worry about that sort of thing anymore. So, look, if, if there's, there's one team that you're trying to chase and you're the Cavs and there's only one team that you're not better than, like if you don't do anything to close the gap on that team, of course, it's probably a failure. Well, let's talk about what the Cavs did do this offseason. Um, they bring in Derrick Rose shortly after the Kyrie news breaks. I, I think the assumption now, 
you know, is that Kyrie will be gone? We'll see if they bring in you know, an Eric Bledsoe type who would who would supplant Derrick Rose in the starting lineup. But if they trade Kyrie and they don't get a, a very good starting point guard back, Derrick Rose could very well be that guy. They get Jeff Green. They signed Jose Calderon like two minutes after free agency open. Uh, and then they have, is it Chetty Osman? So we believe it's Jetty. Osmond. Jetty. Okay, so Jetty with like a J? Yeah. All right, interesting. So, I mean, those are the four guys. One of them in Jose Calderon maybe plays 50 games as your third point guard. You know, Jeff yeah. Green taking a flyer. But is it realistic to believe that Rose and, and Jetty can move the needle at all? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, Derek Rose to a point because he's coming off a pretty good year um, in New York, even though he wasn't a great fit in New York. Um, and he brings the Cavs something uh, that they've been lacking even if Kyrie gets dealt. I mean, they needed another playmaker. They needed somebody else who can uh, create for himself and create for others. So from that standpoint, just having somebody go out and run a team and go out and get buckets for himself and score inside and not be just a standstill catch and shoot guy playing off LeBron, that should be helpful. That should give the Cavs something that they haven't had. Um, but Jetty Osman, like, whoa, I think we have to take the expectations way down for this kid because he's 22 years old. Um, and, you know, it's not like he was a Turkish star or tearing it up uh, where he was. You know, he turned the ball over a ton. Uh, there are questions about his NBA three-point range after what he shot. Um, and I just think he's raw and he's in a new situation and uh, he's learning new teammates. He's learning a new game and just everything that goes into coming from overseas to the NBA, it, it is going to be doubled and tripled in this situation with the Cavs. Um, so I think he's more of somebody that they look at as, Maybe down the road, I don't know, December, January, February, maybe he can be comfortable enough to give us something. Um, but to think that he's going to be in an eight, nine-man rotation from the very beginning, I just think that's too much to ask of him, um, given all the uh, challenges that he's going to have to deal with coming to the NBA. Right. I mean, I follow a lot of Cavs fans on Twitter. I see a lot of Cavs fans, you know, retweeting other Cavs fans. And the way it seems to me is like the Cavs are just like so excited to have a young asset that, you know, even for most teams, like, you know, he'd be the 11th, 12th guy. But like just the fact that the Cavs Mm -hmm. for the first time in what seems like forever have a young guy coming through the pipeline, it it seems like it's doubled the hype. Like the expectation I hope for people is not that he's going to come in and be like what Tony Kukoc was, you know, when he joined the Bulls midway through their run in the 90s 25 minutes a game right away you know he's a double digit score like it's pretty obvious that I think that's not going to be the case but you know here we are that that's kind of that's kind of maybe the stamp that that's on this offseason is that it's sunken so low that that Jetty Osmond is is going to be the savior for this team <laughs> um I want to talk quickly about Kevin Love it's kind of been swept under the rug that Kevin Love was not so privately being shopped uh, as part of what would have been a Paul George mm-hmm. trade. And it's not like, you know, Cleveland was throwing him on the trade block and saying, we, we want to get rid of this guy, give us your best offer. But it's no secret that yep. he was involved in those negotiations. And it seems like all the drama that's gone on with Kyrie is just kind of swept that under the rug. Like, is there any concern that Kevin Love, you know, personally feels any differently about this team and about this organization that attempted to deal him, you know, a month and a half ago? 
I don't think so, Nick. I think in the past it probably would have gotten under his skin, but I think um, as weird as this sounds, he's kind of grown used to it, and he can't even joke about it nowadays. And I think um, while players are human, they're also aware of what's going on. And I think a lot of people in, in the organization, and I think some of the players, they understand that you know, Kevin's one of the few trade assets they have, and Kyrie was the other one. So if the Cavs were going to try and get better this offseason, what else were they going to do? Like I said, they don't have draft picks, so that wasn't going to be a huge part of a trade. Amon Schumper doesn't have a ton of value around the NBA. J.R. Smith doesn't have a ton of value. So if you look at the roster, and if the goal was trying to improve and get closer to the Warriors, I think it's fair to say, okay, well, how was that going to happen? Well, the answer is, if everyone's being honest, including Kevin, it would be Kevin, because he was the best combination of valuable and expendable for the Cavs. Um, And I think that's why he wouldn't take it personally, and I think because he's been through this enough for a number of years, ever since he came to the Cavs and his name has been out there, I think he's just um, at peace with the idea that it's probably going to be something that he has to deal with as the third wheel of the Cavaliers or the third member of the big three. So regardless of what this roster ends up looking like, you know, come mid-October when the regular season is set to begin, is this going to be another year where we see this Cavs team led by LeBron kind of slog through the regular season? You know, maybe Boston takes the East again and gets that one seed. Um, you know, as long as LeBron's still on this roster, I think the Cavs are, are going to be the, the favorite for good reason in the Eastern Conference. Sure. But do you think there's going to be any change in mindset, um, you know, for this team during the regular season to, to try to prove anything? Because I think a lot of last year, you know, with the way that this team took it easy, they could kind of rest on the laurels of, hey, we won it last year. We know what we're doing. And right. they certainly proved that come playoff time. Uh, but with all that's happened, you know, since that Eastern Conference series or Eastern Conference Finals series, I should say, do you think that people would give the Cavs the benefit of the doubt again? Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, And I think they should. Um, And I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt. Um, But I think they need to approach the regular season differently. And I hope that the NBA Finals were a wake-up call of that. Um, And it doesn't mean that you have to play LeBron 40 minutes a night it doesn't uh, mean that you have to go out and try and win, you know, 75 games or something like that. Uh, it just means you have to respect the regular season and understand what the regular season's all about. And I feel like the Cavs in the NBA Finals, uh, their flaws of the regular season, um, their sins of the regular season, in terms of not developing championship habits, in terms of not developing a defensive identity in terms of some of the things you were saying, resting on the, okay, we're the champions. We can turn it on in the NBA playoffs. We can lock into one opponent and that's going to help. Uh, We can shorten our rotation and that's going to help. Like all of the things that they banked on, all of those things were fine against Boston and they were fine against Indiana and they were fine against Toronto. But the truth is when you're finally up against a team uh, that is on your level, that is capable of unmasking your flaws, you better be really, really, really careful. And if you don't have everything set, if you don't have those championship habits built, if you don't have those fundamental habits built on defense, well, guess what? That other guy's going to expose them. And that's exactly what happened in the NBA Finals. 
Um, so I think the Cavs have to treat the regular season differently from an approach standpoint and make sure um, that they use it the right way so that when they do go up against a team like Golden State in the NBA Finals, or maybe it's the Rockets, or maybe it's the Spurs, or whoever it is, a team that's good enough to expose some of their flaws, um, they'll have answers for those better than they did against the Warriors this time around. Looking back, I almost feel that it was a negative that, that they beat the Warriors on Christmas Day in that, that crazy game in Cleveland. Like I, I feel like that bought them you know, a peace of mind of... You know, yeah. as they're go- going through this difficult stretch after the all-star break. But I think they could say, like, hey, you know what? We beat these guys a couple months ago. We'll deal with it when we get there. We'll be fine. And like you said, that was very obviously not the case when game one of the right. finals rolled around. So, yeah, I mean, I- I'm going to be I mean, I think you just Go ahead. I-, I-, I think you just, like, are who you are. You know, right. at some point, you have shown for how many regular season games to be a team that has a shaky bench to be a team that is lackluster defensively, to be a team that relies too much on isolation basketball offensively. And then if you talk about what happened in the NBA Finals and what issues people had with the NBA Finals, check, check, check. I mean, that, that's it. So, like, you can't change your identity. You can't change who you are uh, for 90-plus games in, in the biggest series of the year on the biggest stage with the most pressure because you revert to who you are at your core. And at your core, the Cavs showed themselves to be a terrible defensive team um, that, that can get exposed against great offenses. And they had no answers for the Warriors' offense. They looked silly trying to defend the Warriors' offense at times. The only game that they won, the Cavs had to have a historic shooting night that's what it took against the Warriors, and the Warriors still scored 116 that night. So if they don't get better defensively, like the NBA Finals are going to be a repeat next year. The crazy thing is, though, after all, we've just dogged the Cavs for 45 straight minutes. Terrible offseason. They're a mess. The organization is in shambles. I would be yep. surprised if they don't win the East. I really would. If LeBron right. James is healthy, this is still the team to beat. Like, if for as bad as their offseason was, the flip side of that is like half the good players in the league left the Eastern Conference. Right. But I will say that that's not successful. Like, there is no question right now that anybody is asking, and I don't think LeBron's even asking any people in the Cavs organization. It's not, hey, are we better than Toronto? Hey, are we better than Boston? no. No, like, that's not it. It's, are we better than the Warriors? And I think when LeBron makes his decision in 2018, when he becomes a free agent, it's going to be, you know, how far away am I from the Warriors? Has this organization reached its ceiling with me on this team? And it's very similar with the Miami Heat. And I, I think the Cavs have to be very, very careful um, about that sort of thing happening again. I think there are already signs of this becoming Miami 2.0. All right, Chris, let's get to some rapid fire. We got about 10 minutes before I'm about to get kicked out of the studio. Give me your NBA <laughs> team that most dramatically improved this offseason. Boston. Oh, my gosh. I would have to say Boston. I mean, they lured the biggest free agent, um, and they got the thing that they've been missing for quite some time. And, and I've said this a number of different times, Nick. I think as good as the Cavs are, and they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, and I think there's an argument that they're still the second-best team in the NBA. Who knows what happens with Kyrie? Um, But I think based on what has transpired this offseason, the Celtics are closer to the Cavs than the Cavs are to the Warriors. 
And I think for the last couple of years, everybody's been asking, okay, who is the biggest competition for the Cavs in the Eastern Conference? And the only real answer was the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> they were their biggest competition. Um, and I think now we actually have an answer, and it's Boston. And I think that shows how Boston um, has improved the way that they have this offseason, and they've gotten the piece that they have been missing for the last couple of years, and it's Gordon Hayward. All right, which team will have the worst record in the league at the end of next season? Brooklyn. Got to be Brooklyn, right? That's what, see, I've, <laughs> like, asked this, I've asked this to three or four people, and everybody has said Brooklyn, and I mean, I wouldn't bet against it. They're, they're the incumbent, I guess, after winning 20 games last year, but I, I think it's going to be Atlanta. Atlanta's interesting because they got rid of a lot of their good players. Uh, it started with Kyle Korver in January, and he's now with the Cavs, and then Paul Millsap is gone too, and you just look at that team and you're like, okay, what the heck do they have even? Um, who's their and second best player are right they now? going? Right. I, I have no idea. Ba- Ken Bazemore? Uh, Ken Bazemore? <laughs> it might be John Collins after Summer League. I don't know. Like That that team to me, like they're going to be well coached enough maybe that they avoid like a disaster 17-win season. But in terms of yeah. talent, they might be the least talented team in the league. I don't know. I think maybe a better question is who's their best player? <laughs> I mean, I was going to say Schroeder, but is it, maybe that's not that obvious. Like I, um, I mean, if if Dennis Schroeder is your best player, oh my gosh! Right. Well, that's what I'm it. saying. That's why that's why they're going to be the worst team. I think Chicago is going to be bad too. Like, I mean, Levine won't be back till January, February. I don't know who scores for them until he's back. Right. Um, looking out west, I think the teams out west, like the bottom teams that were at the bottom, like I think they're all improved. Um, yeah. I think the Suns are better. I think they're going to be better because they're going to be more experienced. I think the Lakers are going to be better. So I'm with you. I think it's an Eastern Conference team. Mm-hmm. We'll go that far. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, the Kings, to me, even even with the veteran additions, I don't know. I mean, Zach Randolph is, is all fine and dandy. So is Vince Carter. So is George <laughs> Hill. But I, I don't know if any of those guys are really moving the needle all too much but they've got buddy they've got oh, buddy that's, who nope, the owner oh, never mind to forget Steph curry Don't forget, forget i said that. that they have buddy healed never mind <laughs> um okay so i think i've i've told you this before but uh i'm a jacksonville jaguars fan you're obviously in cleveland more wins this season yeah. jags or browns oh god <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to I'm, make I'm, you answer this i can bleep this out yeah, if you want. come on you're gonna get me killed in cleveland um uh, figuratively speaking, I don't, well, I don't think this is that easy of a question. You could, you could say the Browns, and I'd be right there with you. I don't know. I mean, like, oh, it's one of those situations. Like, <laughs> somebody always asks the question of, like, what's the way that you want to dev- die or something like that? It's like, okay, like, either <laughs> yeah, way, it's bad. Would you rather, would you rather drown whole... or would you rather be right. shot? Yeah. Right, and there's the whole pick your poison thing. And then the problem with picking your poison is you're still picking poison. It's just what kind of poison are you picking? So it's like, okay, on one hand, I've got Blake Bortles, who is an interception machine. And on the other hand, I have I don't know at quarterback for the Browns, and they don't know at quarterback for the Browns. And your ceiling in the NFL is head coach and quarterback, and neither have either. Um, So I'll say Jacksonville. All Just right. because I think the Browns, I think, <laughs> are you happy about like, it? Yeah, we're two, not the two worst wins for the Jags, one win for the Browns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the Browns have a tougher schedule, so we'll go with that. Okay, they don't play each other this year, do they? I hope not. Uh, Let me open up an incognito question. window and check out the Jags schedule. Oh, oh, they do. Jags at Browns, they do. November nineteenth. Oh, there you go. 
I'm might thinking be, they'll probably uh, the they'll probably flex overall that. pick in the draft. That'll probably be flexed to a Monday night by the time we get there. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, who wins the NBA MVP next season? Ooh, that's a really good question. Because um, I don't think it can be Westbrook because he's now playing alongside uh, Paul George. I think there's that, um, and Westbrook would have to somehow top what he did last year. I mean, we've seen the voter fatigue right, happen right. over and over. I think that's part of the reason, and that's a really good point, Nick. I think it's part of the reason why like Westbrook um, won it in part because like there are always expectations for the guy coming back, and right. then like he has to meet those. So you're kind of like Steph Curry is is going up against the ghost of Steph Curry Mm -hmm. and LeBron's going up against the ghost of LeBron. Um, So because of that, I'm going to take Harden out. I'm going to take Russell Westbrook out. I'm going to go sneaky here. I'm going to throw a curveball. I'm going to say John Wall. Ooh. Okay. See, I think like you, like you kind of brought up initially with Paul George and OKC, like a lot of these guys out West are going to cancel each other out. Right. That's what I'm saying. So I think Kawhi can stand out in San Antonio and I think he will. But I'm just going to go sneaky and say John Wall. All right. I like it. If you could change one rule in the NBA, whether it's an on-court thing, an off-season thing, whatever, oh. what would it be? Oh, the stupid jumping into guys. Like, are you kidding me? Well, they are going to change not that, a right? Shot. Oh, I would hope so. But it's, it's all about how it's interpreted mm-hmm. by uh, officials. Like, right. at some point, they have to understand that, that what these dudes are doing is not a natural shot. And if you have to jump to the side on a shot into a guy, like nobody does that. That's not a natural shot. And it's supposed to be only reward a guy for taking a natural shot in mm-hmm. that uh, instance. And I think they do a terrible job of actually judging that. So right. that's the thing that I would change. I, I do really, really hate that. I don't mind it quite so much when a guy, you know, if, if you get a defender in the air who's closing out and you kind of lean into him and shoot it, like that's that's bushly, but it's not that bad. It's so much worse when these the guys who are trying to do it, you know, timing out these half court shots when they know they're about to get right. fouled. Like that is what I really cannot stand. Or if you have the offensive player coming off a screen and obviously the defender is going to trail. Mm-hmm. Like what is he supposed to do? Right. In that in that instance, what is he supposed to do? The offensive player just stops Right. Waits for contact and then launches the ball. Like, come on. Now the defense has it hard enough nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I talked with John Krasinski, the Wolves writer for the AP earlier this week, and he, he suggested mm-hmm. a rule that's actually happening, I believe, which is the reduction in timeouts, which I thought was a great yeah. one. I mean, that's when is the last time that like not having a timeout has affected a team in the NBA? Like, the fact that that's just not <laughs> part of the game to me is, is ridiculous. Uh, OK, a couple more. Who is the third best team in the East? after Cleveland and Boston? I think it's Toronto. I think it's Toronto or Washington. You know, the Raptors didn't do a ton in terms of improvements this offseason, um, but they brought back their core guys, and I think that matters. All right. Who's your rookie of the year? Lonzo. I think it's going to be Lonzo. I think the thing that he's up against is kind of what we were talking about with MVP. The mm-hmm. expectations are so high for him to begin with, yep. and I think they're going to hold Lonzo to a different standard than maybe Markel Fultz or Jason Tatum or some of these other guys because of what he comes in the NBA with. But I, I think that's the kind of dude who fills up a stat sheet in a way that just makes you um, makes you vote for him and makes you take notice. And I think Los Angeles is going to be better. So, 
Yeah, I think if the Lakers like marginally improve and Lonzo puts up like seven or eight triple doubles, which to me is is reasonable. I mean, he's not going to be having these Westbrook 40, 15, 15 games, but like I think he's going to have right. a handful of like 12 points, 13 assists, 10 rebound type of games. And when you're a rookie, right. you know, most rookies don't get one triple double in an entire season, let alone four or five. And I think that's going to go a long way. But I mean, Josh Jackson wouldn't surprise me. Um, either of Fultz or Simmons wouldn't surprise me. Dennis Smith's going to play a ton of minutes. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, it's going to be the antithesis of last year. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is Ben Simmons and, and how voters view that situation. Right. Because technically he'll be a rookie and he'll be eligible, but he's a second-year guy. Yeah. And I wonder how voters are going to vote with that sort of thing in mind. I mean, Blake won it in kind of a similar situation right but he also right. had a monster like it was really right no that's the thing like he had to do something really yeah. really special in order for that to happen okay last one before i let you go chris last time we had you on uh you told dj and i about your bobblehead collection have you made any additions <laughs> since december no none i haven't no oh, i man. haven't any I any like new jerseys at some point no, no New Jersey's. All of my money has yeah. been going to my upcoming wedding. Oh, so okay. I have to be really, really judicious with how I spend my money nowadays. Oh, well, congratulations on that. You're, you're spending your money like an adult and not a 15-year-old kid like me. <laughs> I always used to say I was uh, 30 going on 18 or something along those lines a few years ago. Uh, but now I'm actually like putting that into practice. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me again. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Make sure you read Chris's work on cleveland.com. Make sure you follow Chris on Twitter. We'll have to do this again uh, maybe after the Kyrie trade, whenever that does happen, to, to assess where the Cavs are at that point. You got it, man. Anytime. Would love to.